Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Can you believe it? It's almost December 25th. I like being surrounded by these trees. It's nice. Uh, just a few days away, right, we have Christmas. And I've certainly been enjoying this Advent season myself. I like the decorations. I like the family. I like the food. And I'm not going to turn away from a little extra Christmas joy, especially this year. I mean, we really don't have to beat around the bush here. This year has been pretty awful in a lot of ways. Um, but even in the midst of this awful time, we actually have every reason to be joyful. And I don't mean this, this kind of empty happiness, right? Because you might be thinking, how can we possibly celebrate in 2020? How could anyone celebrate in 2020? But Christians can have a really deeply rooted and unmovable joy that can weather this kind of distress. The stuff we've had to face this year, it can actually be taken down with the joy that Christians have in Christmas. So there really is a lot to celebrate this December 25th. And, you know, maybe we'll receive some presents from some family. Maybe we'll even get to see them for a nice meal. It's a small gathering, you know. <laughs> We'll probably get some vacation time from work. Maybe you'll get to see the kids that came home from college. Uh, there's a lot of good things to look forward to, and all these things are really nice. They're really encouraging. I like this time of the year. But to Christians throughout the centuries, Christmas is the celebration of something much more exciting. Okay, it's much more meaningful than just these things. It's so easy to get caught up in the joy of singing along to Mariah Carey that well, we might sort of forget what is it about Christmas that is so meaningful. So why are we supposed to be joyous then? If all these things that are really great, they make us happy, why are we supposed to be joyous? It's deep-rooted joy. Well, last Sunday, Pastor Brian spoke to us about beholding God's glory. We aren't merely glancing at manger scenes on the side of the road as we drive down the street. We're spending time basking in front of the glory of God. We aren't simply just saying a prayer before dinner and then moving on and talking about whatever happened in the day. We're visualizing what it is about Christmas that means so much. Really take the time to think about the Word of God as you're reading it. You know, we've been encouraged to listen for God this month. What kind of things has, has God been convicting you of lately? As you've been reading His Word and as you've been listening and praying, what has His Spirit been guiding you, right? Where has He been guiding you? As uh, we've been encouraged to wait on God, we need to trust in his promises. Even if he may not act in a way which is expedient to, to our timetables, to our calendars, even if he doesn't do that, be patient. Trust in God, for he does not lie. Right? Listening, waiting, beholding, those are the things that we've been encouraged to do this Advent season. And so today I'd like to dive into a familiar story from Scripture, something you might have heard this time of year, you know, as people talk about Christmas. But this story actually captures the final word of this series really well. And if you listen closely as I'm telling you this story, it captures all four words very well. So the people in this story aren't just adoring, but they're listening, they're waiting, they're beholding, and then in response, they're adoring. So I'd like to read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, 
wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Well, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is an incredible story, right? I've always liked this one growing up. The, the wise man is something that we might see maybe in the manger scene. You usually put three guys up and they're kind of like presenting gifts. So you might have heard this story before. Well, I think we'll see that these wise men are just a great example. Okay, our series this month is called Adore. Well, these guys are a great example of what it's like to adore Jesus. And we should probably take a, a tip from the book of the wise men, right? And... I just want to take a little bit of extra time to, to really go verse by verse, to go through this and see, you know, what is it that maybe we missed in this story? We've gone through this story before. What is it that we missed? What is it that we're not understanding about this? How can we emulate these wise men in the way that they worship Jesus? So starting off with verses 1 and 2, you see, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So understanding the context behind this story, okay, we have the setting in Bethlehem. It's a small town. It's probably about 1,500 people, six miles south of Jerusalem. And these wise men were from the east. Now, where is the east, okay? So Probably where these people are coming from is like ancient Babylon or Persia. So these are like Gentile wise men who are traveling from modern-day Iraq or Iran, and they're going to Jerusalem. What kind of a trip is a trip like that back in the day when you didn't have cars? I mean, this is 500 miles or more easily. That's like if we were to drive from here to Maine, or if we were to drive from here down to South Carolina. I'm sure some of you have done a long trip like that, uh, but you don't just do that casually. You don't just pick up your things and go. That's already like an eight-hour trip by car on a paved road. So for these guys who didn't have cars or paved roads, I mean, they're either walking or they're taking camels. That could be weeks. That could be months. All right, this is a long trip that these people are going on, all following a star. Not Google, right? <laughs> Google Maps tells us every turn where to go. These guys are following a star. That's dedication. Uh, these, these guys must have had an incredibly strong faith to just go on that trip, right? To say, 
let's pack up, we're going to this far off land and we're following the star that we see. I don't, you know, that alone should convict me, right? I'm like, wow, I, that's incredible faith. And, you know, they really believed it. They knew that the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem. They wouldn't have gone otherwise. They wouldn't have gone on, on a hunch. They wouldn't have taken this long trip. So you might wonder, well, how did the wise men know that this king of the Jews had been born? They claim they saw his star. Okay, well, how do they know to look for his star? And it's not explicitly stated in Scripture, but we can, you know, kind of presume that they might have heard the prophecy of Balaam. Now, this is in Numbers 24, verse 17. His prophecy states that a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. Balaam was a prophet, and he lived along the Euphrates River. That river runs straight through Iraq, so maybe these wise men grew up hearing the story of Balaam's prophecy. Maybe they had some uncle tell it to him once, right? Or maybe these men were scholars, and they had traveled, and they had studied the Jewish scriptures before. It's very clear that these people have the means to take a long trip like this. So maybe that's what they were up to. Regardless of how they found out about this prophecy, these men were listening and waiting for God. Maybe they were even searching the skies every night. They're like, is that the star? Is that the one? And they're just trying to catch a glimpse and prepare their gifts to give to this king of the Jews. Well, during the time that all this is going on, King Herod the Great, as he was known, was the Roman ruler of Palestine. He was an ambitious man. He was always building infrastructure, and he was always trying to, to secure peace in his kingdom. So on that side of things, he really was great. From a political perspective, he was really successful. But there's a different side to Herod. Herod is also incredibly evil in a lot of ways. Okay, he's a selfish man who is obsessed with maintaining power. This man viciously killed three of his own sons and one of his wives because he was paranoid about his own throne being taken from him. So Herod the Great, I mean, he was great, but he was also deadly and very, very obsessed with maintaining power. So you can bet someone like this, <laughs> he would hear this story about, oh, this king of the Jews was just born in Bethlehem, and he would be like, hold on. I need to check this out, and I need to go and probably take this guy out. So that's his mindset. When he hears this, he's not happy. You move on to verse 3. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod was quick to act. Right? He heard about this potential threat to his throne, and he was troubled. <laughs> now, the Greek word for troubled here could mean disturbed. And that's probably the sense in which Herod was disturbed. He was troubled by this news. But it says that all Jerusalem was troubled along with him. Now, I looked into the Greek a little bit more, and you can also have the translation for this troubled just to mean stirred up, excited almost, right? So it's not all bad necessarily. Uh, we just heard from Steve Obot last uh, couple weeks ago about how Anna was so happy, right? And she was in Jerusalem, was so happy to finally see baby Jesus. 
and uh, she had been waiting on God, right? Well, this kind of person, I would imagine, is not troubled in the same sense that Herod is, but you can bet that in Jerusalem this is causing a stir. Some people, along with Herod, are really worried about this. Maybe they're a Jewish official and they've been making political alliances with Herod and then all of a sudden this new king comes along and could totally wreck their plans. Maybe that's them, or maybe they're like with Anna, they're excited, they hear this news and they're like, finally, a Messiah is born, you know? So I think we've got a lot of stuff going on in Jerusalem, some good, some bad, but we do know that regardless of how everyone in Jerusalem was acting, Herod pulled together an investigative team, okay? He was in charge. He could call the best people to his office and say, guys, tell me where this guy is going to be born. Okay, he pulled the top priests, the top scholars. He could call anyone he wants, and he says, you guys have to tell me where this is, because this is a problem for him, right? He needs to take care of this issue. Well, they answer him by quoting Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So, You'll notice that if you look at the wording, Matthew's gospel doesn't word for word come from this Micah prophecy. And this is just kind of an aside, but I think it's important for you guys to know, like, the way we quote things nowadays, you have to have the exact wording to quote something. Well, back in ancient literature, that's not considered what you have to do. It's, it's more about the sense. It's more about the, uh, the correct meaning behind it. So when you look at how Matthew quotes this, he's quoting the correct meaning, the correct sense. Um, and Paul does this all over the place. He'll quote other parts of the scriptures, but he's not being exact in the translation that was used. That's totally fine. So I don't want you to be worried about that if you do come across that in your reading. Um, but getting back to the main story at hand, Herod, he called his investigative team, and they updated him on where this supposed king would be born. Now, let's read verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, so this is a second meeting, right? He secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. <laughs> well, why does he have to call this meeting in secret with the wise men? We know, because we know about Herod, and we even, you could look further down in Matthew 2.16, it says that Herod actually kills off all the male kids, ages two and under, in an effort to destroy this new king. So in Bethlehem, that's probably about 20 to 30 kids. And we know this is going to happen. So do you expect that this Herod who's planning to kill the king is really going to go worship with these wise men? No. Right? He's lying to them. But he has to do it in secret. And he has to do it in secret because he would look bad either way if it got out in the Jews that, oh, Herod met with the wise men and said he wanted to, to go worship this new king. One, maybe <laughs> Mary and uh, Joseph hear about this. Well, they're not going to be too happy. They're like, Herod's a killer. We got to get out of here. And then all of a sudden, he can't find Jesus. So that's not what he wants. Or maybe some people hear that he does want to worship this new king, but they believe him. Well, then his claim to the throne is, is threatened, right? He's supposed to be the ruler, but there's this new king that was born in the Davidic line, an heir to King David. That's a serious problem for him. So he decides, look, 
I'm going to meet with these guys in secret and try to find out from them when the child was born. If he's got these two meetings going on, he's got one that tells him where Jesus is going to be born. He's got one that tells him when Jesus was born. Now he knows, right? And that's exactly how he comes up with that plan eventually to kill off all the uh, male children in Bethlehem, ages two and under. But the real joyous moment in the story comes in verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. This is the wise men. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So finally, right, the wise men are reaching their destination. They've trekked hundreds of miles on smelly camels to, to reach the king of the Jews who has been born in Bethlehem. And then, behold, the star, which they had followed all the way from the beginning back in the east, reappears. And it reappears right over where Jesus is. I mean, there is no way to even get across to you like just how excited these wise men were. Matthew actually uses four words in a row that all mean he's really excited, right? So if you were to literally translate what Matthew is saying here, it translates to the wise men rejoiced with joy a lot, very much. <laughs> this would be like if we were saying we're really, 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 really happy, okay? And I was trying to think back to a time when I was really, 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 really happy uh, just to get across to you, maybe this would be a little more easy to understand. Um, and most people, maybe they point to a wedding or they point to the birth of a child. Well, I don't have those things yet, Lord willing. You know, they might happen. But I thought of something from my undergraduate years. So I went to Villanova University. If anybody knows Villanova and anybody knows sports, they know we're known for our men's basketball team. Okay? Now, we have a really good men's basketball team, but in the NCAA tournament, we never did too well. It was usually we would do really well in the regular season, we'd get to the tournament and just kind of disappoint fans. There was one time, it was back in 1985, that we won. Huge, historic win, great. But that's, you know, it had been a while since I got to Villanova, so people weren't really expecting much. But my sophomore year, the Wildcats were at it again. So, I was decked out in Wildcat gear all through March Madness, right? I'm excited. I'd been seeing the players walking around campus. I'd been to their games in person. I even had two of the basketball players in one of my classes freshman year, so I at least had interacted with them, which brought me closer to the team. I thought it was fun. All my friends, we would stay up and watch games in the cafeteria, and we would cheer for our team every single time, right? So when we started winning through March Madness, we were like, this is exciting. Right, Sweet 16, oh my gosh, are we gonna do it? <laughs> Elite eight, this is getting pretty real. Final four, oh my gosh, this is intense. And then finally, we made it to the championship game. This was so exciting. I had, actually my beard was grown out a little bit longer and I had painted it half white, half blue in Villanova's <laughs> colors. I was, and paint, not, you know, I should have used like hair dye, but totally messed up my beard. But I, I painted my face and then I was decked out in Wildcat gear, 
and I had some friends come in from out of town. We were excited. Um, some of my friends flew down. It was the championship game in Houston that year. So they went to Texas. Now you need a little bit of money to fly down to Houston, but wherever we were in the country, right, my friends were excited. And we were in for a nail biter. We were playing UNC. Now UNC has a long history of NCAA championship wins. I mean, Michael Jordan went to UNC. Come on. So we were in for a really tough battle here in this last uh, game of the March Madness. But we were doing well. We started off, and UNC kind of had us a little bit. They were up by five at the end of the first half. Our coach is looking a little worried, but, you know, Jay Wright, he doesn't always look excited, <laughs> even when we're winning. So, you know, we were all right. We were all right. We start off, and second half, boom, we take the lead. We're trading threes back and forth with UNC. Things are getting really exciting. Time is ticking down. We lead 74 to 71 with 13.5 seconds to go. But they have the ball. So all we need is good defense, right? Good defense, slow them down, stop them, force them to maybe take a layup, something, just to keep our, our uh, victory here. Well, they have seven seconds to go. They pass the ball. They're moving around. Our team jumps to try to intercept it and totally cut off their, their movement, but we miss. One of their seniors gets the pass and just totally throws up this haphazard three. I mean, there's no way this thing is going in. If you look back and you watch the highlights, it's a great game to watch. If you watch the highlights, you're like, this dude is so off balance. There's no way that's going in. It went in. <laughs> so now it's 74 to 74, okay, all tied up. There's 4.7 seconds to go, and Villanova has the ball. Everything just happened in a flash. It was crazy. One moment, I'm just sitting in my dorm room with my friends and watching the TV, and then our senior guard, Archie Diakno, he dribbles down the court. He's going fast. Time's ticking. He dishes the ball off when two of the defenders come up to him, so he kind of draws the defense, dishes the ball off to Chris Jenkins, and he's outside the three-point line. He wastes no time, takes the three, drains it, buzzer beater win. Final score, 77 to 74, Villanova wins the championship, right? I mean, that was intense. That was insane, and I was so excited. There, it's honestly like one of the best wins in history of the tournament, and I was there with my team on campus. It was nuts. The thing, something inside me, it was just like, Boom, sprint, run, jump up and down, scream. Everyone was feeling this way. We all just ran out of the room. We didn't even stick around to watch like, the recap or see if the refs like, called something. We, just, we, were, we won. Ball went in the net, go party. you know. And we ran out into the middle of campus. Everyone around me, and I don't think since then, I've never been in a situation where everyone around me, and there are so many people, were so excited about the same exact thing. Maybe some of you were in Philly when the Eagles won or something like that. But when so many people are so excited around you and you're just ex oh, so joyful, so joyful, it's a great experience. That's the kind of joy that we're talking about here with the wise men. Okay? They had been following this star for days and days, always looking up for a glimpse, trying to find their way. They were on this journey together as a group. Okay? We don't know exactly how many wise men there were, some people say three, because they assume by the gifts, but there could have been more. They always were driven by the same goal. They were banking their hope on this baby Jesus, and it had been a long trek, right? 
but it seemed possible. It was like, we're almost there. We're following the star. We got to Jerusalem. Where is he? They weren't sure exactly where he was. And then they saw the star. I can just imagine these guys jumping up and down, hugging each other, running to go into the house where Jesus was. Don't imagine these wise men as Stoics, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, when I would see them in the manger scene as a kid, I always thought they just kind of like walked up, presented their gifts, and hobbled home. Like, I wasn't exactly sure, but that's, that was my picture of them because they're just little static figurines. But these guys are excited. These guys are pumped. They found Jesus, and what do they do? Right, they run into the house, they fall down before him, and they worship Jesus. That's incredible, right? These men had listened to God, these men had waited for God, and they beheld God. So I want us to think about this. I want us to think about it. What should their response be? After all of this time, what should their response be? What should be our response? This Advent season, as we listen to God, as we waited for God, as we beheld God, what should be our response? Well, to put it simply, our response should be to adore him. To adore him. The cool thing here in the scriptures is there's three actions, right, that they break it down. If, if we're saying these wise men adored Jesus, well, what does that look like? What are the three things that they did? They fell down and worshipped him. Well, they fell down as the first. They worshipped him as the second, and they gave him their treasures. They fell down before him. They worshipped him. They gave him their treasures. Just to wrap up today, I'd, I'd like to delve into each one of these and see what that might look like for us today, to to fall down before Jesus, to worship him, and to give him our treasures. So, if you're going to fall down before him, right, like these wise men did, it's important to note that, that no one, no one can approach God except humbly. If you find yourself today coming up to God in arrogance and self-righteousness, you can be 100% certain that you are nowhere near God. The scriptures teach us to repent and believe And we cannot believe in Jesus without first repenting from the wrong beliefs that each of us have. This is only done by humbly falling down before Christ. These wise men, they knew Jesus was their Savior. If these men had only been interested in Jesus from some sort of intellectual view, kind of like maybe the the experts in the law and the, the top priests had been, you know, experts, they knew intellectually about Jesus. But if that's all these wise men had, They wouldn't be falling down before Jesus. He's a baby. That's crazy. I mean, no self-respecting Jew would fall down before a child. That's ridiculous. It's unnatural. But we need to look at these wise men and, and emulate that. Emulate what they did. Do you think today, okay, if your creator came down to earth as a baby, would you worship I mean, does it matter how your creator comes down to you? If, if he's there, you worship, right? You fall down. So these guys did probably something that the Jews at the time would have been like, that's crazy, that's nuts. But these people, these are the ones we should follow. And we should worship Jesus like them, right? That's, that's what the scriptures said they did. They, they worshiped. And you might think, well, well, what's the difference between falling down and worshiping? Because... I thought that was kind of what it was. You fall down and you worship, same thing. But it's not really the same thing. So the falling down is just kind of the, 
the way in which we worship. It's the, it's the I'm trying to think of the word. Let's see if I have it in here. Oh, yeah. It's the thing that modifies the worship. It's the thing that is kind of our posture as we worship. But the main verb, the main action that we should be doing is worshiping. That's the main thing here. And worshiping Jesus is a matter of the heart. Just falling down before him is not the same as worshiping. Okay? We need to worship from the kind of heart that's been changed and is daily being changed by Jesus. And we honestly should be worshiping Jesus more so than these wise men. Right? You might think, oh, these guys are are crazy. They're so faithful. How could we ever do such a thing? But guys, we know more about Jesus than these wise men did. Right? All they had was some prophecies. But Jesus was a baby. They didn't have any sort of, you know, stories about his miracles. They didn't have any stories about what, his, what he was teaching them. But we do, right? We have that about Jesus. So let's be encouraged by what they did, but let's be challenged too. Let's, let's actually do what they did and maybe even a little more, right? Let's worship Jesus based on how we know him, what we know him to do. He died on the cross for our sins, right? The wise men, they might have assumed that something like that would happen, but they didn't know like we know. So let's just spend a little extra time uh, this Advent season considering Jesus' life and ministry. Um, If you don't find yourself falling down in worship of Jesus, well then you need to consider these things a little more this, this Christmas season. And believe me, I'm preaching to myself as much as any of you guys. I mean, it's so easy to get caught up with what's happening in our modern world. The news comes into our pockets daily. We've got advertisements that are engineered to grab our attention away from whatever else we were doing. But let's take a step back from all of that and realize we don't need it to be joyful. We don't need that stuff to be joyful this year. We are already recipients of the greatest gift of all time. God has come down to earth in the person of Jesus. He has promised salvation for all who believe in him. And as a result of that faith, do as he says. He promises forgiveness for all sins on the basis of his own suffering on the cross. We know that he has done these things. He has revealed his actions to us. We have listened. We have waited. We have beheld. And now we adore So what's the final thing that these wise men do before leaving for their home country? Well, they gave Jesus their treasures. They brought forth their wealth to the foot of the new king. They might not even know that they were actually fulfilling prophecies as they did this. But Isaiah 60, verses 5 through 6 says, The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Coming from the nations, the wise men of the east rode camels to present their gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus, the King of the Jews. Praise be to God. He is the only one who is truly worthy of their worship and of their treasures. And he's worthy of our worship and of our treasures. So just to wrap up today, what worldly things have you been treasuring up for yourselves? Do you kind of selfishly preserve your car or your home? What if you, know, you were to extend the grace of God to a stranger or a coworker this season? Offer somebody a ride, host them for a meal, or you know, maybe you're like me and you, you treasure your books. I probably got that from my mom. You know, I read a lot, 
and I have a great library that I'm building. Well, what if we lent out those books to people that wanted to learn but didn't actually have the resources that we did, right? Or maybe you treasure your technology too much. Maybe you always want the newest phone every year. Well, what if you didn't have to buy that every year? What if you use some of the money that you bought that phone with instead giving to ministry work, right? There's so many ways that we are blessed that Jesus has given us things. Well, maybe Jesus has a plan to use those blessings for his own glory, not your own. So I just want to challenge you guys this week, and I want you guys to think about what are the blessings that we have? What are the treasures? Um, These aren't just the scraps off the table. What are the things you treasure in this life? Give that to Jesus. Give that to Jesus. So that's it for today. Uh, Just join me here today in quieting our hearts as we pray to the Lord. Oh Lord, you alone are worthy of our total worship and adoration. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for acting on your promises. Thank you for revealing to us everything that is necessary for salvation. We pray that you would put in us a desire to fall down before you and worship you every single day. May our hearts never be hardened against you. May we come to you this Christmas season with our most valuable treasures, and from the righteous desire in our hearts, lay them at your feet. Glorify us by using us to accomplish your glory. And Lord, please instill a joy in us that can never be taken away. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.